All right, let's welcome Gail Irwin, everybody. All right. What a delight it has been to be here this weekend to, first of all, get an invitation to come, which I always consider, wow, why me, you know? And then to enjoy the hospitality of the Bagnod home, the uh, wild and craziness of it, <laughs> the energy that just flows constantly until everyone is worn out. I love it. I love it. I'm the father of four, and the grandfather of nine, and the great-grandfather of six, with the seventh coming in March. So, but I think one of the biggest victories of my life is that on Thanksgiving Day, my wife and I will celebrate, at least I will, 57 years of marriage. I think I've about worn that sweet lady out, dragging her all over the world. She's been in a number of uh, foreign countries with me, and uh, she would have been here, I think, with me this time, but uh, old age has hit her a little harder than me, <laughs> I think, when you drag someone that long, that uh, things change a little bit, but uh, she wanted to be here. Now, I just... Uh, quick commercial. If you want to call this a commercial, I have some free things back on my table, and it it uh, it hurts my feelings if you don't take them. You don't want to do that. One of them is a bumper sticker. This is unique. You won't get it anywhere. Well, you could, because it's free to copy, but uh, it's nobody else can give it cheaper. <laughs> Others, and you will understand what this means before the morning's over. Those who were here, here, okay, thank you. I could just see it in your eyes, you know. And maybe the most important thing God has let me do is write a book called The Jesus Style, which has been in print since 1983, to give you some idea. The first publisher told me that it would never leave, never go out of print, and he's been right. And one of the goals that's happening right now, and I never knew when and how, it would happen, but it's beginning to happen, is to put a copy of this book in every church in the United States. Well, we got a ways to go, but we, it's amazing how many states we've covered, and I think within this next week it will arrive in Utah. I believe we chose Utah at this time. And uh, if you don't have a copy, I've lowered the price so that it, just about anybody can... Uh, Enjoy it, and, and if you want to go to heaven, <laughs> oh, well, in the course of, <laughs> yes, you did. In the course of yesterday, one of the things that I, 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 I like to get basic stuff across. I'm not interested in, 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 uh, in well, I'm interested in, in filling you with joy. Like Paul, I want to be a helper of your joy. And so I want you to leave here with the thought, well, thank God for what I heard today. Because I, I've been a Christian just about all my life. I can't remember not being a follower of Jesus. 
And so in the course of this, in the study of the Word of God, I've seen some things that uh, maybe some others have seen it, but I just don't always know that that was true. But I have to let you know that, first of all, you need to know what Jesus was like. Because if you really know what he was like, then it changes, you know, the way you view him, of course. And, and you've got to listen to what he has to say. And one of the foundational things, he says, the Son of Man did not come to be served. And we have a tendency to say, ask, are you serving him? Have you really lived up there today? Which is the opposite of what Jesus was saying. He said, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. And if you really understand this incredible love of God in doing that, for God so loved, uh, you know, a good number of people, our special favorite ones, our color. No, God so loved the world. That means everybody, folks. That he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever, oh, I wonder who that might can be. Well, back to our favorite people. <laughs> no. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Folks, that is an incredible, incredible promise of God. And then I, I, I tried yesterday to help you see that, that this is where joy is located in us. Jesus said, if you want to find your life, lose it, which means if you really want to be everything and enjoy everything to the fullest that you can possibly be, the way you get there isn't by seeking that. Even though our founding fathers gave us permission to pursue happiness, I think they knew it would never be caught. It really can run. But how to have happiness pursue you is to bless other people, to serve them as Jesus taught us to do. And then suddenly you discover, wow, I'm, I'm, I'm having fun, man. This is incredible. And then I wanted you to see, too, yesterday that the secret to living free of sin is simply in blessing others. When you're blessing other people, you're not sinning. That's so simple. And then finally, I, I taught the, the provision of how God literally takes care of everything inside us, which after we do get saved, there are still things in there that bother us, you know. And he has made provision for that. And I showed you how, and it's so incredibly simple. Now, I want to pull all of that together this morning in one message. Brace yourself. I want to take you first to an incredible prophecy in the Old Testament. Wonderful one. You know it. And it's in Isaiah chapter 40. Let's go there. We won't stay there very long because then I'm going to take you into the New Testament. Isaiah 40, and I want to start with verse 3. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Wow. 
make straight. You realize you can't get lost on a straight road? It's like you can't get lost in an elevator. You know, one of the favorite insults is I could get lost in an elevator. But you only go one way. And the the beautiful thing about the road to God is it's straight. Religions always put, ooh, there's a curve there. Oh, you didn't know that. Ooh, hairpin turn. Sorry about that. When they make certain requirements, you know, the religions of the world will require of you what you can't do or don't want to do. But they will intimidate you to do them or in other ways threaten you. We're seeing religion right now where you don't do what they say, they'd kill you, you know. Simple as that. Well, that's not the glory. That's, that's not out of his heart at all. He wants a highway that is straight, but, oh, there's something more. Listen to this next verse, which you've heard. Every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill brought low. What does that mean? That means this is going to be a level road. There won't be a hill there where someone will say, I, I don't think I have the strength to climb that. Or sometimes it's dangerous going downhill. Any of you who are bicyclists, you probably always have a wreck somewhere going downhill. Well, it won't be on God's road at all. It will be level. But there's even more after that. It's, it's, it's got to be complete. The crooked places shall be made straight and the rough places smooth. I don't think you're familiar with potholes uh, here. Okay, no potholes on this road, no speed bumps, nothing that would cause a tender foot to be hurt and remembered. Oh, man, when I was walking toward God, I got hurt. No, 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 no. It's going to be straight. It's going to be level. It's going to be smooth. Now, there's a reason for that, and I want to tell you just ahead of time. God has some favorite people. <laughs> You've probably heard God has no favorites. That ain't true. He does. They are children. You know, when the apostles were doing a good uh, job for the boss, you know, protecting the boss. I don't know if you've ever been protected from bosses and put on hold and you listen to Muzak for 100 years and Well, that's what the guys were doing. They were preventing mothers from bringing their children, their babies, to Jesus so he could bless them. Jesus got very upset. I mean, I think the Bible kind of smooths that over because you don't want to see Jesus being angry. But he was angry because people were being kept away from him. He said, you let the children come to me because that's what the kingdom is made of. And... You have to become like a child or you won't make it. So there you go. Now we know. He has favorites. Well, that means it needs to be simple. My, you know, one of Our middle daughter, uh, when she was small, boy, you know, we would take her to Sunday school faithfully. And, and she would just cry because it was one of these big buildings, you know, with labyrinthine and dark hallways and what have you. And she just knew she would never see us again. (laughs) That she would get lost in there and we couldn't find her, you know. And that broke my heart. And I thought the kingdom of God must never be that way, ever. 
that a child would cry and think, I'm going to be lost. I won't see you. The road needs to be straight and level. And so this is the way God does it. And so we know that John the Baptist was, as far as we tell, the first one to fulfill this. You need a little scenery here. At the time John began to preach, here was the religious scene. Over 600 rules, laws, and regulations. Try and remember that. Man, I, I have trouble remembering the speed limit. You know, I consider it recommendations anyway. You know, sorry about that. But you see, John comes along. And, and you know, when you've got that many laws, rules, and regulations, what, what are you going to do? You're going to get discouraged. You're going to give up, which the people did. I, just a quick bit of information here. When you put all of the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Zealots, and the Herodians together, who were the leadership of the country, they represented at most 7% of the people. The rest of the people were known as the, be careful, I'm going to back up here, the Amcharets. <laughs> which means the poor people or the common people of the land. It wasn't really a middle class. You were rich or you were poor. And the Bible tells us that it was the Amcharetz that heard him gladly. Wow. But that's where the crowds came from. The Pharisees were not too happy with that. Now, they were the really the religious leaders there. And... Boy, that's a good lead up to what I'm going to read to you now. I want to take you to Matthew chapter 22. Now, those of you who were here yesterday know that I have a lot of fun with the Scripture because I like to bring it up to date and apply it and, and think of it. Okay, what is this like in our day? So I'm going to read this opening the way it appears to me, and then I'll come back and... Uh, Read it right, okay? Verse 34 of Matthew chapter 22. But when the Republicans heard that he had silenced the Democrats, ah. folks, times have not changed. Go study it for yourself. So now I'll read it right. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. Then one of them, a lawyer, oh boy. Lawyers have existed for a long time. <laughs> I have a couple of lawyer friends, and I have fun out of them, you know. I always will ask them after I've told them some lawyer jokes that I've heard. Are you a wonderful lawyer? Now, they know what I'm talking about because... In Isaiah, when it lists these things about Jesus and his coming, it says he would be a wonderful counselor. Now, that means, in our terms, wonderful lawyer. Now, I don't know about Utah, but in California, we don't use those two words together much. <laughs> so for him to be a wonderful lawyer, well, one thing, I really know more about lawyers from watching television than I do any other way. And it seems to me, and if you're a lawyer here, we're grateful that you're here. Get saved. <laughs> but 
it seems to me that lawyers tend to, in these court trials, ask questions to trap rather than to clarify. Does it seem that way to you too, you know? That's not new. <laughs> I mean, here, here this guy tries to trap Jesus. He asked him a question, testing him, trying to trap him. And here's what the question was, and can you hear syrup dripping from it? Teacher, which is the great commandment of the law? Now, what a dumb question to ask of the Son of God. You know? But everybody knew what this was. Every practicing Jewish home would begin their day with a creed, which was called the Great Shema. And they would quote it together. And Jesus quotes it to the guy. He figures, oh, well, may as well just get straight to the race. And here's what Jesus said. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And I'm going to add with all your strength. It's in another gospel. Wow, that's it. That was what they would say every morning as a family. It's a short creed. It's still a good one. Wow. Love God with everything you got. This is the first and great commandment. Now, don't you wish he had stopped there? Why do you have to add this other one? Well, it was already in the law, Leviticus 19.18. But he elevates this to the same level as the greatest commandment. And he says, and this second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Oh, boy. He obviously does not know my neighbor. This has always been a problem, you know. It would be a wonderful world if it just wasn't for people. <laughs> you know, th this whole problem of neighbors has existed forever. You know, it's the, it, these other people that bother me, you know. I'm a great person, but these other people get in my way, and they do things I don't like, and they... And they and, and, I, and I, well, I love everybody actually, but but if my neighbor has one more party at midnight, <laughs> it's always been a problem. And here is how the rabbis of that day would deal with it: not by saying, "Well, let's figure out how to obey the commandment." No, they would if there was a group of people that you really didn't like. They would redefine them, like. Maybe the Samaritans. And here's what they would say. Well, the Samaritans aren't really human beings. They are subhuman. Therefore, you can treat them any way you want because it doesn't matter. They're not your neighbor. We still do that. Not here. Texas. Jesus sold a story that dealt with that. We call it the story of the good Samaritan. That was an oxymoron. What do you mean good Samaritan? You know, you know what I mean by the oxymoron. Mutually exclusive term like government organization or family vacation. <laughs> Microsoft works, things like that. <laughs> and in that story... 
which he told in response to the question, who is my neighbor? You have to understand that Jesus himself was what we would call the Good Samaritan. And with that story, he destroyed all excuses for any form of prejudice. God loves people. He even loves people I don't like. Did that ever bother you that God loves people you didn't like? You know, you want to give God some advice. So <laughs> we got a couple of problems here. You know, uh, this is pretty much what Jesus is saying, and he's condensed it here. And the first problem is, you know, how can you love a God you can't even see? How do you know when he's really around? Can you feel him in a way that, say, maybe Tums won't deal with? How do you know? Well, in order to know someone, uh, you know, you guys have been married for a while now, and I've enjoyed hanging around your house. Uh, I've learned a lot. You know. <laughs> I can just see illustrations coming on. <laughs> but when you love someone, you tell them your secrets. You know, this is a whole thing. You, uh, the, your your courtship days were discovery days. You know, what is he like? You know, will I be able to stand him? Uh, things like that. <laughs> you know, and, and that's all part of learning to love someone. The more you know someone, the more likely you are to love them and for love to deepen. And the same is true with God. When he says to love us with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, well, that means you got to know him in order to do that. If you don't know him, you won't love him. If you do know him, you just got to love him. So he, in order to help you understand, tells you what he's like. And he tells us, and I talked about this yesterday, but I want to go through it real quickly with you. Because if you hear this and understand this, you just got to love God. God describes himself in Exodus chapter 34, and he says he is the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding mercy and faithfulness, mercy to thousands, forgiving wickedness, forgiving rebellion, forgiving sin. How do you like that? Is there anything in there not to love? Oh, no. That would, if you were trying to put together the kind of God you would want, that's what you would say. And he's already there. Oh, I know there is one punishment section about that, but you need to know this because the Bible fine-tunes it for us. That is only for those who hate God. Now, you know, I doubt, I don't think I've ever been in a church service, and I've been in a lot of them where someone said, I hate God so much I think I'll go to church. So you're probably safe. Okay. When you know about God and what he's like, you just got to love him. To not love him is just a simple, idiotic choice you make. Oh, but neighbors. What about loving neighbors? You know? mm. Back when I was in college, 1890-something, eight, I don't know. A book came out written by a guy in Atlanta, Georgia, called Situation Ethics. Now, in that book, 
he first took each of the Ten Commandments and showed where it would be a, a situation in which it would be wrong to obey that commandment. And then his premise was, then don't give me rules because they don't always apply. But instead, let me look at the situation, decide what the loving thing to do is, and do that, and it will always be right. This book troubled me. You know, it troubled me a little bit because I could take the same Ten Commandments and show where what Heath said it would be wrong to do would be actually be right to do. But that's not what troubled me the most. What troubled me the most was his statement, do the loving thing. Yeah, you know, I'm thinking, man, that's kind of like the Scripture. But then, you know, I knew there was a flaw in the book, and I found it. It had a name, Gail Irwin. You can't just turn me loose and say, Gail, do the loving thing, because there's just enough larceny in my soul that I'm going to get a little bit of self-interest in here. What's in this for me? And I realized I didn't know how to love. So the question then became, how am I going to learn? I mean, who's going to teach me? Hollywood? <laughs> They're the ones that messed it all up. They misspelled it. It's, to them, it's L-U-S-T, not L-O-V-E. Well, I discovered someone who could really teach me how to love. And I'm going to take you there in a moment. But first, I want you to notice there's one more verse in this passage after he says to love your neighbor as yourself, the next verse says, on these two commandments hang all, how much is all? All, the law and the prophets. Now, you probably know by now, if you don't, you're going to find out. The word Bible does not occur in this book. Bible means library, and to differentiate it from any other library, we call this one the Holy Library. In Jesus' day, they didn't call it the Bible either. What did they call this book? The Law and the Prophets. So what Jesus was saying is the entire Bible hangs on these two commandments. Love God with everything you got. Love your neighbor as yourself. You got it made. Wow. Okay, well, who's going to teach me how to love? I take you now to John chapter 13. I'm going to quote something you know by heart. And I'm going to make some radical statements about it that might shock you, but I'm going to prove it. Jesus said in verses 13, uh, chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, a new commandment I give you. Now, oh boy, I'm sure the apostles thought, oh no, we only got over 600 of them now, and you're going to add one more to us. I'm going to break my back. The straw broke the camel. A new commandment I give you. Now, I'm going to, here's a radical statement that I'm going to make, and I'm going to prove it though, but so hang loose. This wasn't just a new commandment. This was the new commandment. This was the commandment to fulfill all 600 plus. And in a way, not, not in the strictest way, eliminate them, but to replace them. Wow. 
you mean to tell me that you're going to do away with the Ten Commandments and all those laws and so forth? In a way, we'll see. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Oh, man. These apostles that he's talking to did not love each other. Mostly. In fact, it was the most commonly reported thing that they did in the Gospels. They argued with each other all the time. How much do you love someone that you're arguing with all the time? And what are you arguing about? Deep theological questions? No, you're arguing over who's the greatest. I'm better than you. You are not. I'm greater than you. are not. I'm greater than you. That's a, I hire people. I fire them if that's all they do is argue. But it was the most common thing they did. And Jesus says to them, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another. And I can hear them thinking, you got to be kidding. You expect me to love that jerk over there? And then he defines it. Here's where we learn. Love one another as I have loved you. Oh, when I first read that, I was really disturbed because I thought that means i got to get crucified. And that never excited me. But listen to this. Jesus didn't say, love one another as I will love you. See, these guys didn't understand the cross yet. It took them a while afterward before they did. He's using past tense. As I have loved you, as I've already loved you. Well, how had he already loved them? Well, thank you for asking. I take you back to the beginning of that chapter. And I'll quote it. I'll update some of the words. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now loved them to the end, which is an old idiomatic statement that means he was just going to show them just how much he loved them, the full extent of his love. Wow. So what did he do? Did he line them up and say, and I see no evidence of this in Scripture. Okay, uh, James, I love you. John, I love you. Uh, Peter, mm, I tolerate you. <laughs> Judas, eh. <laughs> no. It doesn't say that. Well, how did he love them? What happened that he now showed them the full extent of his love? Okay, I have now got to build a little, a little case for you. Uh, you know, you're, I'm glad you're there. I get to pick on you. Anybody with a beard, man. <laughs> I used to have a full beard. I miss it, man. My wife does, too, when she saw the face. <laughs> If I were to visit you today and knock on your door, I would hope that you would open it. Gail, good to see you. Maybe embrace me and say, come in, have a seat. Let me get you a cup of Christian crack, I mean coffee. <laughs> and folks, those are American greeting rituals. We have the simplest greeting rituals in the whole world. In other places, well... I've become acquainted with a lot of different greeting rituals that I find fascinating. But if this were 2,000 years ago, I knock on your door. Gail, good to see you. You would kiss me on both cheeks, which they still do in some places. You would seat me, and if I were especially welcome, you would anoint my head with oil. 
Now, now we do that when we pray for the sick. Usually we have a little bottle of olive oil. Toot, toot, toot. That's okay. That's not how they did it back then, though. If you were especially welcome, they'd take a bottle of olive oil and empty it on your head and slick it down. Yeah. <laughs> but this was before the days of shampoos and hair dryers, and this was a very soothing, cleansing, honoring, welcoming, and healing thing. And there's another advantage. See, if I were to leave your, your house today especially welcome, who would know? But back then, everybody knows. Somebody loves that dude. Look at the greasy head. <laughs> but another very significant part of the greeting ritual, which we have no corollary today, and for that reason, we have difficulty understanding it. And that is, you would wash my feet. Now, everybody wore sandals. The roads were but dust. It didn't take long before, you know, walking was uncomfortable and life was uncomfortable, man. And hospitality is simply the art of making people comfortable. And so you'd wash my feet. Well, there's a problem here, a serious problem, so much so that if you had any servants, it would be the lowest-ranked servant that would wash my feet. If you were too poor to have servants, you would wash my feet, but it would be a public admission of your low estate. Why? What's the big deal about foot washing anyway, you know? Now, you know, Jesus told us we ought also to wash one another's feet. And if you do that, I don't know if you do that here or not. You don't know that? Well, I've found out. <laughs> That if you announce a foot washing service, yeah, maybe three or four people make it here. And they will come with the cleanest feet they have ever had in their lives. So it becomes a sham, really. So in order for us to do something like that today, we need to understand what it was really all about. And I still haven't told you why it was such a problem. Foot washing was a welcoming thing. It was a cleansing thing. It was a soothing thing. It was an honoring thing. I'm convinced that in our relationship with other people, when we are that way, welcoming, soothing, honoring, cleansing, that we have washed their feet. You didn't know you did that, did you? But if you will pay close attention, there will be times when you leave someone's presence and you feel cleaner. You feel welcome and you feel honored. They washed your feet and you didn't even realize it. Yeah. Back when I was a, a, a younger pastor, I misunderstood that. I, I, I thought my job was to point out dirty feet. You've got dirty feet. You've got dirty feet. And God said, you know, they already know that. Well, yeah, I guess they do. So I progressed. <laughs> to thinking I was in charge of a giant fire hose to wash feet. <laughs> and I discovered I was knocking feet off of their legs and sweeping them out the back door, and they were leaving crippled. And finally, God got through to me and said, Dale, if you want to wash feet, you get, have to get close enough to people to touch them. Mm. So what's the big problem about washing feet back then anyway? Here it is, and this is why we don't understand, but you will now. 
They believed back then that the bottom, and, and Muslims still do today, and, and Arabs do, that the bottom of the foot was the dirtiest part of the body. Now, we don't believe that now, see. So to wash feet means this, you, <laughs> why do I have to? Because you're the lowest servant. Ha <laughs> ha. Or you're too poor to have servants. Ha. <laughs> oh, man. Now we join what we call the Last Supper table. You perhaps know by now that they didn't sit at tables like we do with chairs and what have you. They reclined at tables. The tables were low, and maybe you would sit on a, a little couch or something, the height of this, and you, would, uh, you wouldn't sit. You would recline on your left side and eat with your right hand. Your feet would stick out around that table like the spokes of a wheel. Now, here we are around this table, 13 people, 12 apostles and Jesus, all of them with dirty feet. Somebody needs to wash feet. I know what was going on, you know. Uh, John and Peter didn't get along, and John was actually in the lead seat, and Peter was in the last seat of all things. But that's a whole other message. And I'm sure John's thinking, why doesn't Peter wash feet? Peter's thinking, I ain't washing feet. If I wash feet, they'll think I'm not the greatest. I will lose the argument. So what happens? The king of glory, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the creator of this universe, God in the Savior of our souls got up from that table and did the lowest slave job on the face of the earth. And with that, folks, he defined love. <laughs> well, you mean I've got to do always the lowest slave job? No, you just got to serve other people. That's the point. It's, this is the foundation principle. And Jesus was defining love as serving and blessing other people. Really? Said, wait a minute, wait a minute. Love, you know, it's just warm, mushy, smushy feeling that you have inside, you know, just like for ice cream. No, that's just an emotion. Emotions come and go, don't they? But love says, I will do what will be right and proper and blessing and helpful for you regardless of how I feel. When I was a chaplain at a Christian university, I loved it because I, I did a lot of weddings, you know, and, and uh, I just loved those kids. They, some of them were so poor, if they wanted flowers, we had to have the wedding in a park. <laughs> Things like that, you know. I think the wedding that moved me the most, though, was a couple so poor that uh, they did have to have the wedding in the park, and they borrowed some chairs for their, you know, uh, upstage people, but for all their other friends, they just threw a blanket out on the ground, and they couldn't afford to buy a cake. They managed, I guess, to get someone to bake a sheet cake. Is that what you call them, ladies? And that was their wedding cake. 
I think, oh, man, I don't know if I can tell you this story. But they couldn't afford, you know, tuxedos and wedding dresses. You know what they did? They sewed a robe for each other. And in their vows, they would enroll, oh, man, enrobe each other and say, this is how my love will cover you and so forth. And uh, they're still married. I saw them the other day, you know, and uh, oh, my, my. Now, where was I? I you, you know I get lost <laughs> things like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and I always wanted to do a couple of uh, hours ahead of time in what we commonly call premarital counseling, where there really is no such thing. They don't listen. <laughs> but I would hear what they thought were progressive things. We, we want to have a modern marriage. We want to meet each other halfway. I said, that's wonderful. Who's going to decide where halfway is? See, in my marriage, I tend to think I'm doing 75%, and my wife's wondering when I'm going to start. <laughs> well, let me give you the secret. If, if you've wondered about this, and if you've been having difficulty with each other, <laughs> if. I'm going to tell you how to have a marriage where you will think you're back in the Garden of Eden, and it's paradise. When two people are not trying to meet each other halfway, but are doing 100-100 to make life better for the other person. It'll be paradise. I've done a lot of marriage counseling in my life. I hate it. I have a degree in that kind of stuff. I, I won't do it anymore. Well, I will if somebody just begs me. I mean, I have to have permission from a pastor and a lot of pay. <laughs> I expect a Mercedes out of it. I just get so tired of couples sitting there across the room, you know. Well, he promised me this, but he doesn't do that anymore. And yet, well, she was this reason. I don't love her anymore because she, he, he, he. Never has any one of them said, I'm upset because they won't let me serve them. <laughs> Never. Oh, me, me. One of my methods, and, and don't try it unless you know what I'm doing, is to make both of them so mad at me they get back together. <laughs> now, I know how to do it, right? You know. hmm. But if we could just learn one, I got to tell you this quick story. I have all, all day anyway. My plane doesn't leave till five. <laughs> God called me to preach. I was, I, when I, I was going to be a medical doctor, I was, I, a surgeon, actually. I majored in chemistry in college, not preaching. <laughs> I was going to be a brain surgeon. Be thankful. <laughs> and then God called me to preach. You know, he kind of said, look, Gail, I'll bless you if you become a doctor. I like doctors, but you'll only be operating on, on unconscious people, and you won't be changing your world. If you really want to change your world, you're going to have to preach. Okay. But, I, I, you know, I still find out that I work on unconscious people sometimes. <laughs> but I got married while I was in college, and my wife and I headed out afterward, after I was graduated, to preach in churches for a week at a time. You know, they call them revivals. Folks, it's not a big demand for a kid right out of college to preach for a day, much less a week. 
So it was all old family friends, you know, and my old home church in Chester, Oklahoma. Look it up. Okay, yeah, come on out. You're a homie. <laughs> I'll never forget that week. Because you see, in that area was a guy, a farmer. Boy, he was as mean as they come. He hated the church. He hated Christianity. <clears throat> I don't think he'd ever been to church. He hated it anyway. He happened to be married to a totally dedicated to Jesus Christ woman. He'd let her go to church once a week, but if he saw her car headed that direction, he would jump in his pickup, chase her down, stop her, and search the car to make sure she wasn't taking food or clothes or some other gift to the church. Really nice guy. <laughs> I knew him. You got to join me on Wednesday night of that week. And for the first time in his life, he's in Nobody could believe it. What's he doing here? He was sitting right about where, where you are, sir, in the blue jacket there. When I gave the invitation, he shot out of there like a rocket man and hit his knees and wept his way into the kingdom. Now, I was only 20, so I was still kind of dumb. Afterward, I asked him, what was it I said that really got to you? Because if he would tell me, I'd use it over. <laughs> but I can see this so plainly as if it were today. He says, it wasn't anything you said, Erwin. I just couldn't wait for you to hurry up and quit so I could get saved. I thought, well, that's a new invitation system. If I quit now, who will get saved? He said, it's my wife. I can't take this anymore. I put that woman through hell, and she puts me through heaven. The worse I get, the better she gets. I can't take it anymore. i got to have what that woman had. Last time I saw him, he was an elder in the church, you know. And I thought, we have not yet probed the power of servant even when it's only one way. God honors it. So Jesus says, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another, as I have loved you, that you love one another. And the way he had loved them was, as he showed the full extent of his love, was servanthood. Simply that. Other-centeredness, I think. This is probably the best definition of what servanthood is. That's why I have that, that bumper sticker back there. Did I show it to you? Yeah, I gave you a copy. Yeah. Yeah. So they're free. Now, if you can beat that deal, do. Okay, I'll pay you to take it if I have to. <laughs> and then he said, by this shall all men know you're my disciples. Oh. Let me show you my membership card, you know, or my bumper sticker. <laughs> oh, boy. No, that's not the way you show it. When you are serving others, no one ever has to ask you if you're a Christian. 
that love is detectable. Or not, well, you know, we have these appointed times when we do service and we're out doing service right now, so therefore, no, no, no. Often that is irritating people. But when you love people, you serve them. Well, can you, can you love somebody like that and not like them? Like is an emotion. It comes and it goes, you know. Anybody that's been married more than 30 minutes has issues. <laughs> so though there's nothing like necessarily wrong with emotion, you just can't depend on it. But you can depend on love. Sometimes that emotion and love walk hand in hand, but sometimes it becomes cross-purpose, you know. Now, this is a dangerous thing for me to say in this community, because I don't have a gun in my house. <laughs> and if I did, see, I ain't always a nice guy. My wife can tell you. If I did have one, she would not know where it is. <laughs> I don't trust emotions. <laughs> oh. As I read that, this is how the world will know you belong to me. And I was writing the Jesus style. I, I, I thought, I, I've got I've to research this when we came to this passage. And I, I wondered, is there a church or a denomination anywhere in the world whose only requirement is that you love each other. I did the research. I wish I hadn't because I could not find a single church or denomination that said just love each other and you'll be, we'll be happy to call it a marriage. Wow. Since then, though, there have been some churches who've informed me that that's what they now have, but they read the Jesus style book. This is what Jesus said. Now, I've got to do something here. I, remember, I promised you I would when I said that this, the new commandment, replaces, fulfills all others. It's down to one commandment now. See, it's real simple. It's a straight road. No hills, no valleys, no potholes, no speed bumps. Just love God and love each other. Okay, I'll, I'll put it. It's time has come. Even I'm hungry. I take you first to this incredible statement in Romans chapter 13, where Paul, who was the, you know, he was a Pharisee's Pharisee. He tells you that. He was perfect in the law. He knew the rules. He could preach the rules. In fact, if you didn't keep the rules and called yourself Christian, he could kill you. That's where God got a hold of them. He's on the way to kill some more of them. And now, look at what he preaches after knowing all the rules and trying to keep them. In fact, he says, and I think it's in 2 Corinthians 5, knowing the terror of the Lord. He knew <laughs> the terror you feel when you have rules and you can't keep them. Here we find something so different. Listen to this, starting with verse 8 of Romans 13. Owe no one anything 
except to love one another. Now, loving each other is a constant obligation, see. You never really pay all that off. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. Did you hear that? But he goes on. He's commenting now. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witnesses, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, are all, how much is all? Summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There you go. Love does, he comments further, love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. So, am I right that that one law replaces everything? Not law, but the commandment of Jesus. Love your neighbor as yourself. All right. I'm going to take you one more place, and then I'm through. Uh, you'll enjoy this, I think. Have you, have you ever asked anyone, are you saved? And they say, well, I don't know. I'm not sure. I wish. I hope. I'm trying. Yeah. Maybe you feel that way yourself right now. If I were to ask you, would you say absolutely or mm, perhaps? And some think, well, you can't know whether you're saved or not. Yes, you can. I'm going to prove it right out of the Bible, right here. 1 John chapter 3, verse 14. We know, there's that word, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. Voila. There you go. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Wow. Okay. Here's how I'm going to close. And, uh, you know, I'm going to do something that nobody ever, you're putting your hearing aid in now. No, that's <laughs> He's getting ready. How soon is he going to quit? I guess. Nobody ever invites me to do this, so I'm going to just have to do it. I just take advantage of people this way. So kind of prepare yourself for this. I'm going to sing to you. Okay, thank you. <laughs> Brave lady back there. And this song, uh, maybe you know it, and if so, join in with me. If you don't, listen to it, because we're going to sing it a second time, and I want you to join in. And here it goes. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God, and knoweth God. And he that loveth not, knoweth not God, for God is love. Beloved, let us love one another, 1 John 4, 7 and 8. Thank you. See my agent. <laughs> but... All right, now I want you to sing it with me because you know it. Great way to learn scripture, by the way, is sing it. So here we go. Ready? Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God, and knoweth God, and he that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. 
Beloved, let us love one another, 1 John 4, 7 and 8. Folks, it is so simple. Not complicated. If it's complicated, somebody led you wrong. The road is straight, level, and smooth to God. I'm through.